As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Where are Boeing aircraft made? I believe it's Renton, Washington, where they were tuned into the college football game here a while back. The 737 comes out of Renton, Washington. An expert on that is Sheila Kaglu, Senior Equity Research Analyst at Jefferies, and joins us this morning. Have you been to Renton, Washington? I have. There's three production lines. The third one just opened up. So if you think about it, each one of those churns out 15 to 17 maxes per month. The fourth one will open next year in Everett, about an hour and a half uh, away from Renton. So. so I want you to speak, and I don't want you to talk about all your leverage finance work at J.P. Morgan and your wonderful work at Jeffries, your award-winning work in institutional investor. Forget about it. Our listeners and viewers want to know, where's the problem and is it easy to fix? Is it Renton, Washington, or is it the fuselage riveters in Kansas? I think the problem is the pandemic deteriorated the aerospace workforce. Not so much in, I mean, the problem is in Renton, not only at the Boeing factory, but the small tier three, tier four suppliers around there. They're seeing strain on their workforce. The problem has been really focused over the last year in Spirit in Wichita. Uh, with three incidents either on the MAX or the 8-7 involving quality issues. So there's been management changes there to address those quality issues. And I think that's really the focus item given we've seen small improvements in the engine manufacturers and the tier three guys. This sounds absolutely shocking when I start to hear about this. Lisa asked this question earlier in the week. I'd love your response to it. Are we suggesting that things are safe but not as safe as they were before the pandemic now in this industry? I think the industry is having a tough time recruit, you know, getting back up to post-pandemic levels. And, you know, we're manufacturing in September. We were only manufacturing in the teens a month on these maxes when we were supposed to be at 38 a month. So we essentially, you know, in December deliveries were 44. Half of that was out of inventory. Half of it was actual production. So we basically doubled output in three months, right? We were trying to double output. So there's a strain given air traffic is back to 100% of 2019 levels to get this aircraft production back. And it was very constrained over the last three years. You've nailed it. Demand at Boeing isn't the problem. It's deliveries. We had Ryanair's Michael O'Leary sit in your seat, actually, at the end of last year, complaining about the delays to the 737 MAX getting delivered to Ryanair. How close are we to further delays and ultimately cancelled orders because of what's taking place? I'm sure he was more entertaining than me in this seat. (laughs) I will tell you that. He's more entertaining than I am. Don't worry about it. Um, 
you know, what we've seen is that we've seen a delivery slip. Um, we were we delivered about 1,000 aircraft in 22. That number was 1,500 post-pandemic on the narrow body. So we've seen that happen already, but we're not going to see cancellations. Uh, we are seeing the order book stretch out 28, 29. Everybody wants to get in line. And even Ryanair, who's been the most outspoken against Boeing, has talked about wanting that aircraft sooner and pricing being better for them, uh, pricing being better for Boeing on some of the Ryanair aircraft because they want the aircraft sooner. What's the opportunity here for Airbus? I mean, I mean just as simple. In Toulouse, they got to play this low. It could be them. I get the whole dance. But is this a huge strategic opportunity in the United States of America for unit sales for Airbus? Not so much. Uh, I think the opportunity was from 2019 to 23, 22, uh, when the MAX was essentially grounded, not delivering to China as well. We're, we're forgetting about that China element, but Airbus had their market share opportunity. So what we see in 25 is Boeing produces 50 MAXs a month and Airbus does 75. Maybe in the 2026 time frame is more likely, to be honest. So they already have that market share game. And let's not forget, Airbus has its own issues. The Airbus aircraft is man- has two engine options, either the G Leap option and the Raytheon GTF option. Mm -hmm. We know the GTF has a contaminated powder in it, so they're basically grounding 40% of the GTF engines in the first half of this year to do inspections on them. So Airbus is not short of its issues as well. Okay, so some of this is the complexity of the engineering across all of aviation. Are we at a point now, I mean, I get the COVID idea, I think that's brilliant, but are we at a point where these things are becoming too complex? Some argue it's not complex enough, not enough fuel efficiency, uh, not enough energy efficiency, two pilots to fly, fly the plane. So I think that what we've seen in the aircraft industry is no new models, really. This is the 2020s are just an upgrade of the existing models. Working and the fuel efficiency that, but are, you t- are they still trying to do a one-pilot plane? I, I think that's off the books for now. The focus has really been on the engine, the fuel efficiency, and what kind of engine we get in the 2035, 2040 timeframe, and how that aircraft takes us over the next two to three decades. The sitting of the jet back and forth on the wing was due to fuel efficiency, right? Should we jettison fuel efficiency is an engineering mandate? That's what we're aiming for, but clearly the engine OEMs have had a lot of trouble, not only in production, but the efficiency that they're gaining. So not calling out GTF only with the Raytheon issues, not only do they have the contaminated powder, they've needed to do upgrades to get their engine up to par. So has Leap. So that's what we're going through confidence building. (laughs) Let's finish on the regulator. This is a difficult one. How do you expect the regulator to respond to this? How do authorities step in here, given what could have taken place on Friday? So, John, you started off very stark contrast with Dave Calhoun yesterday. And I think the regulators took that same message. NTSB is solely focused on the accident. We'll know in 12 to 18 months what really happened. The FAA said grounding 12 hours in. So did EASA. So I think that they're taking a stark stance. Boeing has this directive out on how to inspect the aircraft. And I think we could see the aircraft back in the air by the end of next week. The end of next week, that quickly? The directive said four to eight hours to inspect the aircraft. You think about just the PR element of it an extra week. When you hear from the regulator, of course, they have to start out really broad, actually have all options open, TK, consider everything. Sheila, do you get the sense that they've narrowed this investigation down already then, given your expectation we'll be back up in the air next week? 
Uh, so the NTSB, I think, will take a year to come to a conclusion on exactly what yeah. happened, what the cause was. But the FAA seems pretty confident that the directive came out so quickly. 30 seconds, normal conversation. What's your single best buy right now? Oh, this amazing <laughs> company called Heiko. Uh, when I started covering... What is it called? It's called Heiko. Heiko. Yes, 21 billion market cap, 51 times P.E., um, but when I first started covering this stock, and I won't tell you when that was, the market cap was $2 billion. Um, they are a generic aircraft parts manufacturer, and they supply the aftermarket. The more we don't get new aircraft deliveries, uh, the more Heiko benefits, because the old planes get serviced. Interesting. I thought we were going to round out that conversation, sort of long bowing, but we didn't. Sheila, thank you. No problem. It's good to hear from you. Just fantastic. Real depth to that conversation. Sheila Kaiolu there of Jefferies. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's catch up with Seema Shah, the Chief Global Strategist at Principal Asset Management. Seema, I'm pleased to say, joins us right now. Seema, great to catch up. Two-part story this year for you. First half, second half. First half volatility, second half rally. I have to say, it reminds me of some of the outlooks that I got last year for 2023. Seema, what is it about 2024 where you think that story could actually take place? So I think that, look, if you, if you think about where we were at the end of last year, where you had um, I think a price for perfection, you know, you couldn't get better news than the idea that the Fed would start cutting it early in this year, uh, you would have a soft landing, etc. Now, I'm not saying that that's not all going to come true. But at the beginning of this year, you are already seeing the market push back on some of those original expectations about early Fed cuts. Uh, you're seeing economic <clears throat> resilience. That is creating a wobble. Um, and I struggle to see what is going to be the catalyst to drive another leg up in the near term. You almost need to see a bit of a pullback. Um, as the market starts to question their rate expectations. And then as you get towards the middle of the year and you get closer to that actual rate cut date, you see an economic slowdown, but it doesn't turn out to be too too damaging. Uh, that to me is that green signal for a more prolonged rally. You see, a dovetail nominal GDP now, that combination of real GDP plus the inflation with the IMF's call of a, a beleaguered slow global economy out four years to 2028. Where are we in that continuum as we go into 2024? Is there an animal spirit within our nominal GDP or is it gonna drift away? So look, we are anticipating a bit of a global growth slowdown. You know, if you look across the US, Europe, China, it's not particularly exciting, but you do have a couple of bright spots around the globe. But we're not anticipating a very you know, prolonged economic weakness. So I think this is a fairly decent nominal growth environment. Uh, but along with that comes the idea that we don't necessarily see inflation coming all the way back down to 2% or below 2% like you saw um, in previous years. So from a real rate, which I know you've been focused on, it is a slightly more challenging environment than we've seen in previous years. And I think investors need to start taking that into 
to consideration um, as they're starting to position their portfolios. What does the real rate do this year, the 10-year inflation-adjusted rate in the United States? So we're expecting to come down slightly, but not too much. Um, if I give you an idea, you know, we're expecting the Fed to cut a couple, uh, three times 25 basis points each time, so it's not very significant. We are expecting inflation to come down to around the 2.4% level, so it's not too far from where we are today. Um, that is a little bit still quite restrictive. Uh, so you're not in a fantastic environment for risk assets, but there is a lot of cyclical factors that we can take into consideration. It's just if you're thinking about your portfolio, you're looking at a higher cost of capital than you've had in the last decade or so. So you need to be um, kind of screening your, your stocks a little bit closer. Um, you need to be thinking a little bit more about bonds as well, you know, in terms of it's great in inflationary, sorry, in a disinflationary scenario, uh, but in an inflationary scenario where inflation doesn't come all the way back down to what maybe was accustomed to before, bonds don't necessarily perform as well as you would have expected. I wonder what your call is then on consumer discretionary. I'll share with you what we heard from Laurie Cavasina of RBC overnight, upgrading discretionary to market weight and saying this, Seema, we're wary of being underweight going forward, given the tendency of this sector to outperform when interest rates are falling. There are two sectors at the moment that are kind of leading the pack to close out last year and whenever we rally it's discretionary it's tech where are you on the former and for that matter where are you on the latter so actually on the consumer discretionary i'm not too negative i do think there are challenges coming for consumers but i don't think they're as significant as maybe a lot of people including myself uh, were worried about at the end of last year there's just a lot going for consumers at the moment i um, mean as long as the labor market is holding up as strong as it is then i think consumer discretionary can do well on the tech side i still have good, I guess, solid expectations for tech. I do worry, though, about whether the expectations from the market is going to be fulfilled. So whereas I wouldn't want to go negative or underweight technology, I think there are other parts of the market which are a little bit more interesting for 2024. If, as you said, you're going to see Fed cuts and a soft landing, I think there are other parts of the market can do well. Well, talk to me about the other parts then. What's the big call for you? Banks, where do they fit in, given we get earnings on Friday? I think banks can do pretty well. I think, you know, as, as you're going to see in a lot of parts of the market, there are headwinds in the first half of the year, but as you get through to the second, then I think uh, banks can do well. The other part of the market, which I think should be gaining interest, there's going to be a bit of a wobble in the first uh, quarter at least, but small caps, I think their valuations are very attractive. Typically, when you get a Fed cutting cycle and it's accompanied by um, a kind of return to, or at least solid growth, that is typically a very good signal for, for small caps. And when you're looking at that valuation gap between the large and the small cap, it is very attractive. So I think this is the time that investors start thinking about it and maybe yeah. edging into those positions. If yields come down, is the is the flow of money out of money market funds, it's assumed, is it linear or does it all come in one great surge? I think that's it's really difficult to say in terms of how the investor sentiment is going to go. What I do think, though, is one is that those money market funds, they do have the potential to create a pretty strong rally. Um, once some of the questions that investors have hanging over them are answered. So those questions would include, when is the Fed going to start reducing interest rates? And the second thing is, is, is there going to be an economic slowdown? And if there is an economic slowdown, how devastating is it going to be? I think all three of those questions are going to be answered fairly um, from a, in a positive tilt in that there's a slowdown, but it's not too devastating at all. And I think once you have some of those questions answered, then money market funds, that trickle is going to move towards those risk assets which is one of the reasons why I do think investors should be positioning 
for a stronger second half of the year. Russ Kostricker Blackrock said something similar an hour ago. Seema, thank you. Good to hear from you. Seema Shadda of Principal Asset Management. Right now to further the discussion on the American economy, Kathleen Bustjansic joins us, Chief Economist, Nationwide Mutual Insurance. Kathy, what's the state of the consumer? Uh, good morning, Tom and John. Happy to be with you. Um, well, the consumer's been really resilient and not really reflective of uh, the labor market continuing to be quite strong. Um, we've got employment growth that continues to kind of outpace the monthly estimates and wage growth continues to be buoyant. Um, so, you know, put that together, you still have, you know, income wherewithal for the consumer uh, to keep spending. Now, it's not going to be the buoyant spending that we had in the past. You know, most much of the, if not all of the pandemic related savings has been run down. But, you know, until we see a slowdown in the labor market, the consumer can continue to run here. The character of our wage growth is compared to a declining inflation is something the optimists speak of. Is it normal? Is it a normal dynamic now? Or do you put an asterisk around what that means? It's getting more normalized. I mean, wage growth, if you look at the average hourly earnings numbers running 4-1, you, know, you would probably in a more normal time see that around 3.5. Um, so you're seeing wage growth still a bit you know, buoyant there. But inflation is not back to 2% yet either. So I think in the mix, what you're seeing is is real wage growth um, that is steady. You know, it's not stellar, um, but but it's not negative either. So, you know, that that helps to, you know, kind of keep the consumer buoyant. Um, but we, we do think there's some slowing underneath the headline employment numbers. And I, I do think we are going to see. The question is, do we see... Um, you know, just a soft patch in growth in the middle part of the year, or do we get a mild recession? We're, we're still thinking that mild recession is possible, uh, but, but you know, certainly recognize that the data have come in stronger than expected, and that, and that could continue. Kathy, how would you expect John Williams, the New York Fed president, to address some of those issues this afternoon? Yeah, it, it, very much looking forward to his comments. Um, you know, and to put into perspective, like they kind of were talking about rate cuts. Well, not really, but, you know, and the minutes helped us out a little bit there. But I, I do think they're they're at an interesting time now. I mean, in, in a way, it's better than they thought. Right. But it's still complicated. It's better because inflation has come down much quicker than they thought. The, the labor market has been more resilient. But the, now the, the, the idea is, well, it's not just about lowering inflation, but can we stabilize the economy to avoid you know, a, a harder landing. So um, I, I'm very interested to see how he kind of threads that. I think one message he'll probably deliver is the bond market's still a little too optimistic in, in the start of the, 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 the timing of rate cuts. But to be honest, we're looking for May, May, June markets sort of pricing in high odds of March. Not all that different. Um, the fact is the Fed's going to be cutting rates this year unless something on inflation starts to turn around in a very ugly way. Well, Kathy, not all rate cuts are created equally. And I think that on the surface, it's almost contradictory to talk about maintaining a restrictive stance and entertain these surgical rate cuts at the same time with a focus on real yields. Do you think they can entertain both ideas simultaneously and communicate effectively and clearly? Well, communication has not been their, um, you know, their top bright spot here, really, to be honest. Um, you know, they... Um, 
they need to communicate clearly. And but I do also think your point is is well taken. Are you just removing some of that restrictiveness, but still want to hang on to it because you are not quite 100% confident inflation is getting back to 2%? Or do you say, you know what, inflation, we do have a high degree of confidence. You know, getting to the point with, you know, Mike's interview with Loretta Mester, you know, how confident they are we're going back to 2% and how does that real rate, right. you know, play into to the mix of things? Because right now the real rate is higher, right, de facto. Hey, Kathy, Columbus, Ohio. Nationwide is on your side and all that. The unemployment rate is 2.80%. Help me with Senator Warren from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Shouldn't we be up on the tables popping champagne and celebrating an unemployment rate of 2.80%? Yes. I mean, we should be celebrating that this economy is is. is quite good um and and you know inflation is coming down you know maybe that is why consumers overall maybe there's not as much exuberance out there but but inflation's coming down eventually the fed's going to be cutting interest rates at some point this year you know that's that's a very positive mix and to your point unemployment rate certain parts of the country like columbus very very low and 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 very positive so I think we need to applaud a lot of that, and that sort of gets overshadowed by all of our concerns. Kathy, um, just quickly, where do you have unemployment, your rent? Yeah, so we, we see the unemployment rate um, drifting a bit higher, but it, because we have a mild recession, it doesn't even get above 5%. Um, so you're looking at something around 4.7% uh, or so at the high. So let some of the air out of, of the economy, but certainly does not crush the labor market. Interesting. Kathy, thank you. Appreciate the insight. Kathy Bonchancet there of Nationwide. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward client ready resources from clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Matthew Bartlett knows each and every ward in Nashua, New Hampshire. Oh he is hardcore wow. New Hampshire and joins us this morning. Darby Field Advisors, a Republican strategist with service in the Trump administration until a certain January date. I got to go there first, Matthew, as you join surveillance for the first time. What was it like on January 6th when you said, see ya? Yeah, um, you know, thanks, Tom. Listen, it was a very, very hard day here in this town in Washington. And I remember walking home, it was during COVID, um, and, and crossing the Capitol and just seeing the utter mayhem and feeling utter disgust um, and made what was just the easiest decision I've ever made in my career, which was, dear Mr. Secretary, I hereby resign immediately from the State Department. Decisions um, will be so made yeah, in, kind of a, excuse me, decisions will be made in New Hampshire, Matthew Bartlett. What's the tone you see right now among Republicans? 
Well, exactly. It's January, and you know the business community, the, the country is looking at a lot of those those uh, snow-covered roads. Um, right now, it's not Davos. It might be Davenport, uh, Iowa. It might be Dover, New Hampshire. And um, you know we are looking at what is either the beginning or maybe the end. Uh, President Trump has a significant lead. There are really two battlegrounds right now. It's Iowa, which he may have locked up, and it's a question of expect expectations. And then it's over to New Hampshire, the Granite State, my home state, um, where Nikki Haley may be putting together um, some puzzle pieces um, with her granite heels on, climbing the mountain, and, and may, shock, uh, may shock the Trump campaign, may shock the world. And if so, then we have a race. Um, but if President Trump um, really blows it out in both states, I think this nomination might be wrapped up and wrapped up pretty quickly. Well, Matthew, let's talk about that. You've been on the ground with every candidate, I believe, in the field. Matthew, do you see anything on the ground that's difficult to reconcile with what we all see in the polls? Oh, sure. Right now, polls, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of um, national polls. Those poll, polls are certainly, um, you know, lagging indicators. It is the state polls that are the leading indicators. The nomination process is not a, you know, as we know, a national election. It's a state-by-state -state, um, event. And right now in Iowa and in New Hampshire, the race is not nationalized. Rather, it's personalized. Um, people get to go and meet the candidates up front, hear from them directly, unfiltered um, from, you know, uh, free from, from media, free from ads, um, get to ask questions. And that's really where, pe where people can, can, um, um, can make their stake. And I think that's what we've seen Nikki Haley do to a, to a very high degree. What's the number one issue that you think is attracting voters to the likes of Nikki Haley? Um, I, you know, I think it's probably a mixture of policies of, you know, maybe the Biden administration, um, whether it's foreign policy, domestic spending, inflation um, that have kind of pushed people um, away from, you know, their vote, maybe 2020 or away from the Democratic Party. Um, but more importantly, uh, a looking back towards uh, what people see as, you know, a, a firmer Republican Party that maybe is absent some of the mayhem, some of the personality deficits uh, that former President Trump um, has displayed for the better part of a decade now. Matthew Barlow, Terry Haynes visits often from Pangea, and he, he made a comment a number of months ago where he said there's a complete misjudgment about the number of GOP who really aren't in love with the former president. In Politico, Jonathan Martin, the headline, where are all the anti-Trump Republicans? Where are they, Matthew, and are there any in Concord, New Hampshire? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, if you look at New Hampshire, it is uh, the only purple state, maybe the only swing state, in addition to being an early state. Uh, Republicans can only vote in the Republican primary. Democrats can only vote in the Democratic primary. But independents, of which there are more than um, uh, Republicans or Democrats, can vote in either one. So right now, the, the independents of New Hampshire, um, those that actually decide the general election, are going to have a significant role in choosing the Republican nominee, or at least impacting that. Um, right now, it looks as if they're going to Nikki Haley. There is a Trump fatigue factor. In fact, when you go to her um, town halls, one of the biggest applause lines you hear, she's quite candid. She says, listen, polling says Donald Trump might be up uh, one to four points on, right. on Joe Biden, but I'm up 17 points. So I think a lot of strong conservatives look at that as a resounding um, you know, rationale for her uh, candidacy, and a lot of independent voters uh, you know, find her to be the Goldilocks candidate. What, right what does President Biden need to do to garner those GOP disaffected votes? Does he need to communicate with them like he's communicating with the Pentagon? 
Yeah, I think communication's a, a good start. Um, you know, putting priority that you see, you hear, you listen to those, uh, that, that it is a warm place. Maybe some of his policies have been rather progressive. He's been, um, for the past four years, uh, really um, attuned to the, to the left wing of his party. Now, as we turn a corner into a potential, you know, general election, he really needs to make sure that that coalition that he built in 2020 stays with him, that they do not feel deflated. And that's from the left on, on, on certain issues, which may be a little more sensitive. Maybe it's foreign policy issues, as we're seeing in play out in, in, in Michigan. Um, but, but again, those disaffected voters who thought Trump, you know, maybe they liked his policy, but they just thought his personality was just too much. Now it's, uh, it's going to be yet again a choosing time, um, potentially between Trump and Biden, and, and, and who can swing those voters right back. Let's get to TV programming later on this evening. Just to wrap things up, Matthew, 9 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. You've got Ron versus Nikki on CNN. And then you've got the former president, Canna programming on Fox News. What's the approach from Nikki and Ron going to be? Are they going after each other or going after the former president? I mean, listen, it's going to be both. Um, you know, more than anything right now, the Republican Party wants somebody with attitude and swagger. And that is certainly why Donald Trump has had a command over the party, um, not just uh, over the past few months, but over the past few years. Um, so it is a performance. It is how you take a punch, how you land a punch, how you come back from a punch. Uh, Nikki Haley has really made her bones in this race by lighting up Vivek Ramaswamy like a pinball machine at debates. Um, and it seems that voters appreciate that. Look for more of that tonight. Let's continue the conversation through this month. Matthew, great to catch up. Matthew Bartlett there of Derby Field Advisors. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.